Good morning. We're back looking at our series on spiritual gifts. We're going to wrap things up today with the final gifts, the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Let's kind of review where we're at with the gifts of promotion, looking at 1 Corinthians, if you'd like. Uh, Chapter 12 and verse 28 is a great place to start. You'll find, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now, I um, grew up with friends who were in the Pentecostal denomination. I had a friend as a young man whose family spoke in tongues. I was very familiar at a young age of those who spoke in tongues. And I recognized that not all churches that speak in tongues have the same theology. They don't all look the same. Some of the churches speaking in tongues uh, are Pentecostal and you might say uh, very extreme in their views regarding speaking in tongues. There are some Pentecostal churches, and by the way, Pentecostal churches aren't the only ones that speak in tongues. There are other churches that do so as well. So there are some churches who speak in tongues that believe if you do not speak in tongues, you are not saved. My friend came from a church that didn't necessarily believe that. It wasn't stated in that way, but they did their best to make sure that every person, including children, spoke in tongues. They thought it was very important. I think... Look at you now. That was like thirty, you know, fifteen, twenty plus years ago. I think, if my if my memory serves correctly, they would not have said my friend's church would not have said that speaking in tongues what is it was a sign of your salvation, but they would have most definitely said it was a sign of your spiritual maturity. So, although you could be saved and not speak in tongues, you wouldn't be a good Christian. You wouldn't be a mature believer if you failed to speak in tongues. So there's been a lot of confusion surrounding speaking in tongues. Not only what it is, but how you get it and and the purpose behind it. So we're looking at gifts of promotion. I mentioned last time we were together that miracles and healings, although the Bible does not state they are gifts of promotion, I followed the logic that it is obvious some gifts do fall away. The gift of apostles is most definitely one. And so if the gift of apostles can fall away and no longer be used, then surely there are other gifts that can fall away and no longer be used. I mentioned miracles and healings. We went in depth on that and my reasons for it. And I would believe very strongly that tongues and interpretation of tongues would be in the same family of gifts that were once used and now have fallen away. Now, I mentioned last week that the gift of healing originally was the supernatural, you might say, ability, gift, whatever you want to call it, to heal someone not based off of their faith, but based off of your faith. Your walk with Christ was, was the determining factor in your ability to use that gift, not the person you are healing. Your walk with Christ, your faith, your, the gift you have received was the determining factor in the miracle that was performed, not the one and not the faith of the one receiving the miracle. We saw evidence of that last week. And so I believe that a lot of people have confused the first century's practice of miracles and healings and have have twisted Scripture to present an exciting 
ministry, an exciting worship service, and said, we also can do miracles. We also can do healing. And I, I think there's ulterior motives. I think some people are deceived, really believe it. And I think others know exactly what they're doing and, and do it for power, for popularity, for money, a variety of reasons why they would, they would state, I am a miracle worker, but then also state, but your faith is required. I'm a healer, but your faith is required. It's either deception or outright uh, ignorance. It's one or the other. So I believe that um, God does do miracles, and I believe that God does heal. I believe that in today's 21st century churches, it looks different than it did in the first century. And I believe that God does not use gifts of healing and miracles to bring about healing. I believe that God uses the prayers of the saints, as we saw in James. And I believe that the Holy Spirit does the work outside of his, 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 his uh, followers. And uh, people are healed and miracles are done, but not through the gift of the individual. Now, when it comes to speaking in tongues, there's two, well, there's three, in my opinion, three main views of what speaking in tongues is. So let's talk about that first. What is speaking in tongues? Okay, the first view of speaking in tongues is, and I'm going to say it's probably the fringe view. It's the view that, um, that maybe doesn't, um, isn't held in, in by many people, but it is the some, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't interviewed a lot of people speaking in tongues, but it is a view. The view that uh, speaking in tongues is the language of the angels, that the angels have a language that they speak separate than humans, and when you speak in tongues, you are speaking as an angel. Now, why would they say that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and uh, verse number 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and that Chapter 13 is right after chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians in the same context of speaking in tongues. And so some have made the correlation that uh, it, is the, it is the language of the angels, and only the angels and God know that language. And when we speak it, we are speaking a, a, heavenly, a heavenly language, which is the need for an interpreter. Because if you speak a heavenly language and, and no one can understand that language, you would need someone who can interpret the heavenly language. All right, so that's one view. The second view is it is an unknown language, not necessarily a heavenly angelic language, but it is, it is a, it is a um, language that no one can understand this side of heaven, whether angels use it or not. And um, that verse is probably closely attached to the, the Bible when it states that when you pray, uh, you don't actually speak words, but, you, you know, groanings and mutterings that, that the Holy Spirit takes and then transfers to God, and God hears our groanings, you might say, and, and uh, understands what we're going through. I don't believe that text is referring to speaking in tongues. I believe that text is just referring to the anguish of a prayer warrior, the anguish of a believer who really doesn't know what to say, but God knows our hearts, and really not much is need to be said. God takes what is going on in our hearts as long as we are in his presence, and that prayer is good enough. There is a third view of speaking in tongues. Among those who speak in tongues, I do not find this view held, I will definitely say often. I can honestly say right now, as I'm telling you this morning, I cannot think off the top of my head of any time I've spoken with someone who believes in modern tongues and holds to this third view. Now, this is the view that I hold to. It is the view that tongues is not an angelic language. It is not an unknown 
unhuman, otherworldly language. I believe it is the ability to speak a, a another language on this earth that you yourself have not learned. A language that I, I haven't learned Spanish, so speaking in tongues for me would be the ability to speak Spanish without having learned it. Speaking French or German or Italian or Chinese, Japanese, without having learned it. That would be my definition, my interpretation of speaking in tongues due to what I see in Scripture. Now, there's a lot of people that hold that view, and if they hold that view, they are usually going to be in uh, the, the, you might say, crowd of people who believe speaking in tongues is no longer for today. And those that do believe what I just told you. Those who speak in tongues probably believe the first two, one of the first two, angelic language or a language, otherworldly language that, that we can't know. Now, why do I believe it is a language of this world spoken by people, but a language you haven't learned? Well, if you turn to Acts chapter 1, this is a common passage of Scripture. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2. We're going to find the first instance where the apostles speak in tongues. We're told in verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and he began to speak with other tongues. Other tongues. That's an interesting phrase there, other, that word, not just speak with tongues, but with other tongues, which, by the way, again, plural, has the implication they are speaking more than one language, not just one language, multiple languages. So if your view is tongues is the language of the angels, how many languages do the angels have? I would imagine there's only one, but, you know, I could be wrong. If your view is that tongues is speaking otherworldly languages, but none known by humans, well, then, of course, you could say there could be hundreds, thousands, millions. I mean, there's never, never ending, right? So I get that. But in this text, we are talking about other tongues, and that word tongues meaning languages. That's what, that's what the literal interpretation of the Greek word would mean, languages, other languages. And so as they're speaking, the Spirit gives them utterance. And verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So these were not just from Israel. They are from other nations who were Jews. And then as you read on in this text, you're going to find that Peter begins to preach. I don't believe he's the only one that preaches. I believe uh, possibly others are preaching as well. Peter's being the loudest. But others were told they began to speak with other tongues. Um, it was not just Peter only speaking in tongues, verse 4, multiple guys. I believe that probably the preaching service that took place lasted longer than three minutes, which is all it would take to read this passage of Scripture from Peter. I believe Scripture is just giving us a glimpse of Peter's preaching, whereas I'm almost confident it, with thousands of people around, Peter's preaching over here, this guy's preaching over here, you know, James is over there, John's over there, and, and there is a revival service of multiple preachers in multiple locations. They did not have a sound system. People weren't all sitting in little chairs directing their attention to one guy. This is a little chaotic going on here, all right? They were in an upper room. They come outside. There's crowds of people. They began preaching. Street preachers, and I think there's more than one street preacher going on at this time with more than one tongue, as we see here in verse, in, uh, verse 4, 
So kind of change your view of what's taking place here. I think a lot of times you picture Peter on the top of a roof and all the people on the street looking up at Peter. That's not what I believe is going on. So as Peter here is highlighted, because the Bible doesn't need to give us all of the messages of all the men, Peter probably kind of sums up pretty much what all of them are saying. When the preaching is done, we're told that the uh, verse 15 Um, I'm sorry, verse 12, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. They're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. All right. So it's possible that originally as they are speaking and uh, preaching, it's possible that Peter's the only one. I highly doubt it. But then what's likely is after the preaching is done and after everyone's attention is drawn, then kind of Peter sums things up. That is very likely what's taking place. So what's going on while the preachers, more than one, is speaking? Verse 8, and how hear we every man in our own tongue, again, language, wherein we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Uh, And in verse 10 gives more going on to verse 11. Verse 11 says, We do hear them speak in our tongues or language the wonderful works of God. That is the main reason that I believe speaking in tongues is an earthly language understood by those who know the language. Now, what is missing here? Have you noticed there's something very key missing here? They're speaking. Who's interpreting? Nobody's interpreting. If speaking in tongues is a heavenly language that no one understands, if it's an angelic language that no one one understands, how is it that these crowds of people can understand the initial speaking in tongues of the apostles with no interpreter? How is that possible? All right, they're speaking in the language of the countries mentioned in 9, verses 9 through 11. So then if that's the case, then why did God offer interpreters of tongues if someone can understand it? Well, the unique scenario here is that Pentecost, Jews from all over the nation with different languages were in one place and heard the tongues didn't need an interpreter because they're literally being preached to in their own language. But in most local cultural churches, Everyone that goes to that local church only knows mostly, if only, the language of that land. Not many bilingual or multilingual people running around today, let alone back then. And so if someone was to speak in tongues, a language that that culture did not know or understand, then there was need for an interpreter to stand up and give the message, which begs the question, why Father speaking in tongues to a group of people who do not understand the language. Why? Why would you do that? Well, I believe the reason that you would speak in tongues to people who do not understand the language would be so that God could be glorified. What does that mean? Well, isn't God glorified and don't people... uh, get amazed when they see the power of God working. I believe so. 
I believe in whatever form that may take, when you see the power of God moving, it is exciting to behold. And if someone stands up and speaks in tongues, it's exciting to think, wow, the Holy Spirit is moving among us even, even now, even in this worship service. The Holy Spirit is here. That's an exciting thing. And there's a lot of churches, I believe, who are taking that idea of the Holy Spirit moving among them and saying, the Holy Spirit is here, come here. If you want to see the Holy Spirit, if you want to sense the Holy Spirit, come here. And then they put on a show. Now, magicians do the same. Magicians use a lot of tricks to get you to feel and to think what part of you knows isn't true, but the other part says, I can't explain it logically. There has to be something amazing going on. It kind of kills the mood when the magician actually states, now, you know, this is a trick of the eyes. I mean, oh, come on, man. We almost believe you were a magician. We almost believe you are a, a wizard for a minute there, right? It's completely different as someone touted themselves as being able to do magic, does amazing things, and never claims otherwise. I guarantee you there are people who would believe that. And in the Christian culture, we have similar scenarios. Spiritual leaders who claim that they can heal and do miracles, claim that they can... The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they can speak in tongues, and the Holy Spirit is here. They claim that. They never claim otherwise. And they are able to, um, they are able to convince people that the Holy Spirit is among them. And yet, you know, it's interesting. When the Bible talks about spiritual leaders, when the Bible mentions how we will know the quality of a spiritual leader, what does the Bible state? The Bible states you'll know them by their fruit, not by their gifts. You will not know that the Holy Spirit is working among them by their use of their gifts, because here's the truth. If you have a gift, you can kind of be a rotten person and still use a gift. Think about it. How many pastors have we heard of living in sin? The sin comes out, and you say, how could that be for the last three, four, five, eight, ten, twenty years? The man's been used by God. People have been getting saved. The preaching's been powerful because the man had a gift. But his gift did not erase his sin, and his sin did not erase his gift. So just because someone has a gift doesn't mean they're godly. doesn't mean that they are walking with God. It means they're using the gift that God gave them. And so... A lot of people look at the gifts of their leadership and say, wow, they must be godly because they sure are a great preacher. They must be godly because of if whatever, re, you know, speaking in tongues, whatever else it might be. Well, first of all, is it a gift? Second of all, if it is a gift, are they using it or abusing it? <laughs> and thirdly, how's their character? Because that's what really matters. We fail to look at their character because we're so in awe of their gifts. And... I believe speaking in tongues is not only abused, but it is a curtain that hides the reprobate character of many spiritual leaders, not just in America, but throughout the world. It is the, it is the don't look behind the curtain at the man behind the curtain. Look at everything in front that awes and wows you. And as you are awed of what you see in front of your face, now let's give some money to make this happen more for the community, so that more people can see what you've seen. And then if you're a believer, if you truly have bought into that and you think, wow, the Holy Spirit is here, I want more people to sense that. Why wouldn't I give money so more people can see the Holy Spirit? So we, are, we need to understand the interpretation, what is spiritual gifts, what, what are speaking in tongues, because if you get that wrong, it's really easy to go down the rabbit trail 
of deception, and that leads to some very hurt Christians. Only after they realize they've been deceived, after they see the character of that pastor come out, do they begin to question their faith because their faith wasn't in God. Their faith was in a man who kept distracting them with the abuse of so-called gifts. All right, so first question, uh, what are spirits, what is speaking in tongues? I believe it is speaking in another language. So second question I asked then, why would we use speaking in tongues in a church where everyone speaks the same language? Well, the Apostle Paul actually asked the same question. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. All right, so why would you want to show love according to 1 Corinthians 13? And why would you want the spiritual gifts? So that you can do what? That you can prophesy, that you can give truth to other people. Verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. By the way, that's another passage where some would say, oh, it's a It's an unknown language. It's a heavenly language. It's not a language known by man. You know, the Apostle Paul is dealing with this issue of people speaking in tongues, but in a church where everyone speaks the same language. So the Apostle Paul addressing this question of what would be the reason? Why would you speak in tongues to a bunch of people who don't understand what you're saying? He's saying the only one that will understand is God. Why? Because God knows all languages. Not because you're speaking a heavenly language, but because there is not a language God does not understand. God does not look at uh, a group of people in, in the rainforest and say, oh, sorry, I can't hear your prayer. I don't understand your language. I haven't learned that yet. Obviously, right? So God knows all languages. So no matter what language you speak, no matter what tongue you're speaking in, God understands it. And if you're in a church where no one else knows that tongue, the only one that understands you is God. That is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And he's saying, no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Meaning, what are you saying? Not only do we not understand you, you know who else doesn't understand? The, only guy, the guy or the girl who's actually speaking is speaking in mysteries. Well, no, Pastor S., that's not true. They know what they're saying. Well, then what's the purpose of an interpreter? If they know what they're saying, then why don't they say something in one language, stop, and then say it in the other language? Right? I'm not saying that some of them maybe did not have the gift of tongues and interpretation. Some might have. The Bible does not necessarily clarify that. But if you don't have the gift of interpretation, the only one that understands you is God. You don't even understand yourself when you speak in tongues. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Now, how is that possible? How can you edify yourself if you don't know what you're saying, if it's a mystery to you? Because it is edifying means uplifting, feeling, feeling higher. Uh, feeling encouraged. It is uplifting and encouraged to know the Holy Spirit is with you. Even when you're doing or saying something you don't understand. It's just good to know you're not alone. And when you spoke in tongues, even if you didn't know what you said, the, the, the feeling of encouragement and uplifting would flow through you as you knew, God is with me now. I mean, those who struggle with your eternal security. I mean, here's a very obvious way to know you're saved when the Holy Spirit's literally speaking through you, right? So it's uplifting. So why would someone do that? The Apostle Paul is telling us there's only one reason, that you would speak in tongues in a church who doesn't understand the language. And that only reason is for 
you for yourself. Those who speak in tongues and those who don't have an interpreter are doing it for themselves. Now, that's not a worship service, is it? And if it is, we're not worshiping the right person. Now, that was a problem back in the first century. When speaking in tongues was actually used correctly, uh, and people understood it was another language, they still abused it and used it to feel good as they did it. And the Apostle Paul basically says, you got to stop. Now, he says in verse 5, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. He's, now, I know that's kind of a weird phraseology. He's basically stating... I would rather you were all prophets and spoke plainly the truth than that you could all speak in tongues. What does that mean? Well, it means that not all can speak in tongues. Wait, Pastor Russ. Not everyone can speak in tongues. If you're saved, uh, isn't speaking in tongues evidence of your salvation? If you're saved, isn't speaking in tongues evidence of your spiritual maturity? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30. Have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. You say, Pastor Russ, I don't see no there. If you look at the original Greek language, the words used is, a, is, is, is intended to, you understand that this is a, a rhetorical question where the answer is no. And by the way, it's clarified in verse 29, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. And then in that same context, you keep going with gifts of healing, tongues, and interpreting. Not Everyone speaks in tongues, not then and not today. Not everyone could interpret tongues, not then and not today. So tongues cannot be a barometer of salvation because the Apostle Paul is speaking to Christians and he's saying not everyone can do it. Nor can speaking in tongues be a barometer of godly maturity for the same reason. Not everyone could. And that text is not referring to can you do it because you're saved or not saved? Can you do it because you're mature or not you're mature? He's speaking in the sense of spiritual gifts. Not everyone has all the spiritual gifts, including tongues. Tongues was not given to mature believers. Tongues was many gifts given to new believers. New believers who did not have time to mature, grow in their faith. You receive the gifts when you receive the Holy Spirit. And you receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved. And so tongues wasn't given to the best Christians. Tongue was given to some and not to others. Interpretation of tongues was not given to only the elders or spiritual leaders. Interpretation was given to some and not to others. So back at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, verse 6, now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. What good are tongues if you don't understand what I'm saying? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction to sounds, how shall it be known? <laughs> hey, instruments just playing chaotically aren't actually encouraging. It can be hurtful to your ears and your soul. When a bunch of musicians just go crazy with their instruments and there's no pattern, rhythm, beat, melody, the trumpet giving an uncertain sound, how will those in battle know what to do? Verse 9, so likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. All right, what tongue? Well, again, tongue, language. If you're not speaking a language that can be understood, then what good is it? 
Verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek ye, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. I love that verse. What does that mean? Did you know you can pray for certain gifts? What does that imply? You receive a gift and you receive the Holy Spirit, but it's possible the Holy Spirit will impart on you a different new gift later in life. I strongly believe I have the gift of teaching. I do not believe, personally, in my opinion, that I always had it. I believe there are some gifts that when I'm looking back in my young life, I could see some of the gifts that I had. I don't think teaching was one of them. (laughs) I believe that God called me to a position and then equipped me with the gifts I needed for that position. You know, I wasn't smart enough, mature enough. I didn't know my Bible well enough to know to pray for those gifts. I just prayed that God would use me in whatever way and that God would help me, not specifically saying, God, give me the gift of. I just said, use me and help me do what you need me to do. God understood that prayer, and God, I believe, imparted upon me gifts later in life that I did not have when I was five years old saved. That's an amazing truth right there. The Apostle Paul is saying, pray for a particular gift of the Spirit, which means they do not have it, but he's encouraging them to ask for it. Is there a gift that you would like? What reason do you want it? He said, pray for it so you can edify others. That was my heart. When I was a young man, I prayed that God would use me so I could edify others. That's what I wanted, not to be popular, but to make Christ popular for other people. God answered that prayer. Now, verse 14, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So back then, people still prayed in an unknown tongue. Why? They did so, I think, to feel edified, to feel filled with the Spirit. But their knowledge did not grow deeper. You know what I believe is a problem with speaking in tongues and churches that speak in tongues? I find it quite often. Those who speak in tongues generally do not have a, generally, not always, generally do not have a deep understanding of Scripture. Spiritual leaders, pastors who speak in tongues, generally only have a surface-level knowledge of Scripture. And I know this because I've talked with a lot of them about other things in speaking in tongues, and they don't usually have deep knowledge because they're so busy edifying themselves, so busy enjoying the experience that they don't even pray, verse 14, with understanding, let alone study or preach with understanding, even their prayer life is without understanding. I mean, that's naturally going to keep you at the surface of your Christian faith. Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. The Apostle Paul is not condemning tongues. It is a spiritual gift, and he's saying, I myself have it. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Again, he's speaking to a church who uplifted speaking in tongues, who held it on a pedestal, and what did they lack? Understanding. 
because tongues became their priority, and people were speaking without knowing what they were saying, and the church didn't know what they were saying, but everyone was having a great time hooping and hollering and jumping up and down and feeling filled with the Spirit and, and having a crazy good day, but they walked away learning nothing. The Apostle Paul said, I'd rather have five words I could say to you to help you than 10,000 doesn't help you or me other than an emotional high. Verse 22, wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And there it is, gift of promotion. God wanted to promote the church, and he wanted to use it as a sign for unbelievers. Now, if an unbeliever walks into our church and we're speaking in unknown angelic heavenly languages that the unbeliever does not understand, are they going to say, wow, God is here? The unbeliever, what are they going to do? They're going to say, wow, the devil is here. This is crazy. You all are crazy. So how can speaking in tongues cause the unbeliever to recognize the presence of God? When the unbeliever who speaks in another language visits your church knowing you don't speak their language but just wants to be in the presence of Christians and you start preaching and they hear their language, then they say, wow, this is amazing. It's only wow when it is the third option that I gave at the beginning of tongues being a language understood by people. It is you all are crazy when there's the first two options. Well, Pastor Russ, if that was true, then how do people get to churches and speak in tongues? Uh, they weren't born into it. No, you know what they were do? Trained into it. They were trained into it. If you go to churches that speak in tongues, they train their converts how to do so. They train their children how to speak in tongues. Literally, the Sunday schools that I, I've talked with people, talked with kids, they say, yeah, we practice how to speak in tongues. They're trained to make these noises so that they, too, can be filled with the Spirit. Well, that concerns me greatly. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the passages, but I'll look at verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. There we go. I'm going to end this chapter with this statement. If speaking in tongues is still for today, then there can be no discrepancy on 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. If you go to a church who speaks in tongues, it should be two, no more than three people, and someone should interpret after each person is done. And it should be one at a time. It says each in their due course, one at a time, if they're going to do it, one at a time, with an interpreter. I don't find that to be the case in churches, Pentecostal churches and those that speak in tongues. It's usually pretty chaotic. Lots of people speaking in tongues at one time, in prayer, in the message. The pastor's preaching. Someone comes up on the stage and starts speaking in tongues. The pastor steps aside. And someone else stands up and starts speaking in tongues. And someone else, and it's almost like a competition, which was what was happening in the Corinthian church. And there may be interpreters. There may not be interpreters. Depends on the church. Depends on the day. But that's not biblical. So first, I believe speaking in tongues very strongly is the ability to speak another language. Secondly, I believe the purpose was to preach the word of God to those who knew that language, not to use the gift to impress God's people. The Apostle Paul says speaking in tongues is not for God's people. It is for unbelievers. So if everyone in the church is a believer, there's no point to speak in tongues. 
Well, we have unbelievers here. Okay, well, the purpose of tongues is not to wow them with your ability to speak something other than English. The purpose of tongues is to wow them with the supernatural ability to speak a language you don't know, that they know and can understand. And interpreters are those with the gift to understand a language they'd never learned and to give the interpretation, hearing someone speak another language and saying, hey, I never learned French, but you know what? I know what that person just said. Let me tell you what they said. See, a gift, you might say, to, to, to speak in your language what you heard from another language, whereas the gift of tongues is the ability to speak in another language what you're thinking. Two different gifts. Some had both. We do fine. Verse 13 the Apostle Paul states, if you can speak in tongues, pray to also interpret. But it seems not, that not everyone had both, but you could have both, and you could pray for the second. All right. Any questions? I'm going to end our series now. We are going to take a spiritual gifts test next time we're together, and, and we'll talk about the test and talk about your spiritual gifts individually next week. We will not record next week. There's no reason to record that, and I'm not going to record the last five minutes. We're just going to open it up for discussion now. So those listening, thank you for joining us through this series, and uh, we'll pick back up a new series after next week.